Welcome to the Farm to School podcast, where you'll hear stories of how youth thrive and farmers prosper when we grow, cook, and eat delicious, nutritious local foods in schools. We're your hosts, Rick Sherman and Michelle Markestein, and we are Farm to School coordinators for the state of Oregon. In this episode, we're exploring school garden sustainability. For those of you who do not know what that means, uh, it means how to keep a school garden going even without a paid position. You are so lucky today. You, everybody out there in podcast land, are going to experience the the phenomenon of Kelly Douglas. Kelly, welcome to the show. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be here today to talk about students and dirt. Yeah. We love dirt. Kelly and I, uh, and Michelle and Kelly and I go way back. Um, uh, I've been in my position for about 12 years, and I think I met Kelly right about when I started at uh, the Department of Education in my state. Kelly, do you remember where it was uh, that we met? I believe it was someplace in Portland, but I don't remember exactly the location. That's, yeah, we had, a, there was a school garden certificate training yes. that we used to do in person. Yes. I think now it's online. It's available from Oregon State University online, school yep. garden certificate And anyone program. in the country can take it, and it's uh, where you can go and take a week's worth of uh curricula and become certified as a school garden coordinator. But I saw Kelly there and she, uh, Kelly has so much energy and, um, I, I knew that I had to bring her into our life at, um, in, in this school garden arena in Oregon as, a as a speaker or, or whatever. She, she was just awesome. But I remember I was talking at my whole spiel. I was doing garden food safety and I, I talked about, we in Oregon have, at the time, we have 499 school gardens, and you lit up. I did. Why, why is that? Because we had the opportunity to create Oregon's 500th school garden right at the very edge of creation. You said, Kelly, we have 499. I'm tracking them. We're keeping track of school gardens. And I said, well... Get ready because we are designing and manifesting this amazing school garden at Malala High School. And we did. We ran with it, you and I. That's when we started, I remember. And let me tell you, everybody, um, if you want to figure out a way to to do a school garden, don't just do one. I mean, have a big deal. I mean, Kelly, she... If you, today, if you go down the hall in Malala School District, it's painted on there. It says, welcome to Oregon's 500th school garden as you enter the atrium. Um, and yeah, it, it was just amazing how we did that. And we'll get, we'll get into that. But I, I kind of want to, we'll, we'll get there, but I want to talk about today. And um, Kelly, what are, you, what are you doing? You're not doing that today. You're not a school garden coordinator anymore. What are you doing today? I and I believe I'm always going to be a school garden coordinator in my heart. I I always always have the foundation to stand upon of the certificate from mm -hmm. OSU being a school garden coordinator. Nobody can ever take that away from you and I'm very proud of it and and I proudly say that that, that is who I am. And I had another opportunity, though, that led me away from Malala High School. And so right now I'm working over at Westland Wilsonville School District, and mm -hmm. I am the executive assistant to the superintendent and school board secretary. 
Oh, wow. So what are, what are some of the things you do there in terms of... Over there, it's different. My, my classroom isn't students any longer. Now my classroom are principals and administrators and assistant superintendents, so I support them and support the school board. So thinking about the Malala High School Garden, let paint us a picture of what is Malala like? What's the community like? Malala is a small town. It's a, it's a very rural town. Uh, when you give students rides home and they say, yeah, I just live up this road, you are going to go 20 minutes one way. And those roads crisscross all over up there and all the students come down to the heartbeat of the city, which is the high school. And so Malala is just a, a good old town with the river running through it uh, with kids with not a lot of things to do. Not a lot of opportunities to do things in Malala. And so when we started thinking about a garden and started thinking about things that we could have our students do that would keep them out of mischief, uh, it was a very popular idea. And a lot of people jumped on the bandwagon and a lot of belief in it. But Malala is just a working town. Very small population for our high school, I believe, is about a thousand students. Okay, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you about. It. So when you, how, and you, what was your main job at the high school before you started doing the school garden there? I was at Malala High School for seventeen years, mm-hmm. and I was the uh, textbook coordinator and one of the librarians there. And it was a unique opportunity because I wasn't in the classroom. Uh, You know, it is bell-to-bell instruction, but when you're in the library, you have a little bit more opportunity to connect with students. And I noticed a void. I I noticed that our students needed to have a little bit uh, more structure in their free time. And the idea of the garden and the open space that was in the middle of our school really looked really inviting. And that's where that came from. So if that void was the seed for the garden, what are the things that helped it grow? The garden is a magical living heartbeat pulse entity. The garden started very small with the idea, just an idea, just the seed of an idea. And as we realized that more and more students were interested in talking about tomatoes and cucumbers and kale, and they kept coming to the meetings that we'd have at lunchtime just to percolate the idea and see how many students were interested, it started growing. More and more people were interested. And so we thought with the space that was outside and in absolute partnership with OSU, we could not have done this without OSU, with OSU's uh, partnership we were able to step forward and create the garden out there. So OSU and who are the other people and students that attract it? Because a garden's a lot of work, especially when everyone else already has jobs and yes. things going on. So The life of a school garden is generally three to five years, and then it's dead. And so we Why do you say that? Because the mom that has the enthusiasm and the time and energy follows her child as the child grows and leaves that school. So I think, and what you're saying too, in your situation, it was all a volunteer thing. Everything is volunteer. So that's probably really important to point out. There was no paid school garden position there. So a volunteer is like whoever had the urge to do it, that's great, but if that person's gone or the parent leaves, uh, we hear this all the time across the country. 
Yes. Yeah, it a, was part of our training. It was part of what we learned when, when I received my certificate for school garden uh, coordinator. And part of what OSU taught us was that it will end if the person that hasn't that leaves the person that starts it if they leave the program will die and we truly wanted to make sure that this program lived we called it a living legacy we wanted the students that were involved in the school garden program we wanted their younger siblings to be excited and to have the communication at their dinner table and to continue that and sadly when I left the program when I left Malala the program also left so so Kelly uh, so you talked about starting the garden and then having this magnificent, thriving garden. So what happened in between those two events that mobilized your students? What do you think was the... the Number thing? one, faith. Faith. You have to believe in the vision. If you believe it, truly, truly believe it, you can make anything happen, but you have to have the vision and the belief, the belief that build it and they will come. And then we started with a dozen. We got 25, we got 30, we got 40, we got 50. As it grew, we would meet at lunchtime. The entire special education department joined. Every student, we became big brother, big sister. Um, it was absolutely amazing. So it was centered around food and growing the food and eating the food out of the garden yes. and it became a school garden club. And what did you call it? The students came up with it. It's called culture club. And I remember when you said that I thought, and I thought you were joking because I'm a child of the eighties. And I thought, you mean like boy George? Boy George yeah. Cult no, no. And, and tell, and you had a motto. Yes, we had, we had, we have a motto. It was just amazing. These students, the program that grew and the experience that these students had is a lifetime mm -hmm. experience that instilled with them the foundation that they can feed themselves. They learned how to feed themselves. It was powerful. And so we started up with this culture club. We even had our own hand signals, our hand signs. Kids would flash it. Um, the kids designed their own T-shirts. We got pictures when the legislators came to visit us. We had pictures with the legislators yeah. and our principals doing the culture club sign and, and just taking photos and proud uh, just to say, I belong. And the kids would wear their shirts every Thursday. And one of the teachers let me know, when I see a student in my class with a culture club shirt on, I expect more. Because I know that that student is involved in Culture Club. They're involved in the school garden program. And they are instilling kindness throughout the entire school. It's not just when you're out in the garden. It's and, an entire school. So how many students ended up participating in that program in one form or another? Uh, I would say, well, for the club itself, we had over 150 students that participated in out the club. Out of 1,000 Out of 1,000 students, yeah. yes. But we had over... 75, 80% of the school that was involved in the garden itself. Uh, we had reading rocks because reading rocks, it's so cool. So we had giant boulders out there that the kids could sit in. And Jackie and I went up to the quarry and went and sat on the boulders to make sure that they were reading ready. And then they delivered them. They donated them to us, these giant, huge boulders. So we had a reading rocks place for the class to go out to. 
Um, the kids could go out and do poetry and Shakespeare out in the middle of the beans. Um, the wrestling team would go out and snack and graze through the garden as they were waiting to go on to their um, practices. We also had a micro enterprise business plan after school where the kids would uh, pick all of the, the teachers would put in the order, $1.25 a pound. The kids would go pick what the teachers ordered, deliver it. They would learn the money handling, everything that they needed, and deliver. And then that money we reinvested in the seeds for the next year. But the kids also pushed around a cart after school. They made their own hummus. And so we wrote a grant. We bought a giant Vitamix. And Bob's uh, Red Mill donated all kinds of uh, beans for us. And then the kids started making hummus. And so they would make it and put it in four ounce uh, little packages. And we would have fresh uh, pr uh, vegetables from the garden along with the pita for $1.50. And we would push it on a cart around because there's no live food on campus. Kids are waiting. They're going to go to practice. They're doing games. There's no live food. But here comes Jose and Janet pushing, pushing the veggie cart for $1.50. And if, it, you know, if somebody didn't have, have the money, we just gave it to them. But the kids learned this micro-enterprise business plan. They learned how to participate um, using the food from the garden to turn it around and, and earn the money for the seeds for the next year. But it also instilled in them a sense of pride because they were the ones growing the food that they were selling to the teachers. What other kind of changes did you see in the students? What One of the most profound noticings was that our incidence of bullying and harassment went down 66% with the inclusion of the culture club. We had students... See, what happened with culture clubs is it collected all the students that were idle, that didn't have a place to belong. If they didn't belong in sports or they weren't in choir or the play... And they just were milling around after school. And so when I noticed all of that milling around, I thought those kids could put that milling and elbow grease into the dirt. And we can do some fantastic things. And so what we did is we scooped up all those kids that didn't have a place to belong. And we gave them a home. We gave them a home within Culture Club. And this is our motto. I'd like to share our motto with you. Malala High School is our lake of knowledge. Culture Club is the pebble dropped in the middle, and the ripples created are Culture Club students spreading kindness, tolerance, understanding, and positive energy throughout campus. Powerful. I would challenge the kids every day. Huge. If, if you are in a group and somebody's talking something maybe a little negative or maybe it's something that just doesn't feel right, I challenge you to change the sub subject. And if you can't, Say, oh, excuse me, and step away because you're taking your energy away from that. And soon, if you do that two times a day with 150 kids, how many times have you expelled negative energy and thoughts and gossip? So this is something our students mm. were really working towards was the kindness. It wasn't just a gardening club. It truly was a way for students to find a home, a, a place to belong. Yeah, we hear, too, of thank you for sharing the mission statement. It was incredibly powerful. We hear, too, about school gardens being able to cultivate the whole child. So, like, you're talking about a lot of that social-emotional development. Yes. How about also physically? Physically, yes. So, physically, whoo! Talk about sweat. Uh, you know, we built our garden in 12 hours. 12 hours. What? And what size 12? was your garden? Paint us a picture. We had 16 raised beds, eight on each side. 
and then we also had uh, raised beds in the shape of a four, excuse me, stand-up beds over on the concrete so that disabled uh, students and community members that came to, to garden with us during lunch uh, didn't have to wheel out onto the grass. So we had it in the shape of a four and an H because we were 4-H club. We were working very closely with them. Excellent. And uh, large, large. I don't, I'm not sure the, the full size of it, but. So Malala, it, is it an affluent co uh, community? They can afford that? No. It costs a lot of money to do a garden that size. Correct. And so we had absolutely zero funds. Zero funds. We got our first $100 grant from Figaro's Pizza. We asked them if they could please donate $100 to us for uh, paint and poster paper and, and a few paintbrushes. And that's what we did. And we actually got in the newspaper with that one. And uh, we, we made some signs and we asked people if they wanted to join the club. And that's how that started. Then what? Then, then what? What was your next step? Then we asked the community. We, we had a, a groundbreaking ceremony. We, first of all, we went to our school board. Because we needed permission from our school board mm -hmm. to allow us uh, to use the inner part of the school. So we gave them a fantastic, amazing uh, presentation, and they were inspired. They were, they were impressed that high school students were doing this, because school gardens are generally at the primary level. Yes. And so the fact that we had high school students willing to get dirty, get sweaty, be out there together after school on their own time and through the summer, because a summer garden still mm -hmm. needs to be tended to, even though school is closed. And so we were able to have all of those students really excited and participate. So the way that we were able to generate income is we wrote a multitude of grants. I love writing grants because the best part of a grant is the story. You need to have the story for the buy-in, for the community, because grants are about the community. It's to start with a little bit of money, but who else is going to participate with that money? And so we wrote a variety of grants through Clackamas County. One was for a refrigerator, huge, giant refrigerator, because I found an old coffee cart stuck in the back somewhere, and I pulled it out and we renovated it. So the Kids and Culture Club also had their own coffee cart to raise money for the club, and that helped to pay for the T-shirts for the garden. And so we had approximately $12,000 in grants. And then I went knocking on doors. And I went to the local hardware store and asked them if they could please donate some shovels and some wheelbarrows. And in turn, we would get permission slips signed by the parents and the students for pictures. So it was free advertising. So Ace Hardware had a picture of a student using an Ace Hardware uh, wheelbarrow and, and a shovel. And so we promised them that we would trade them and give them the publicity because they're helping our local community. We received the boulders. Giant boulders were delivered. We received, um, I would say, at least 15 loads of gravel. And that was for the walking paths through the garden. We also received uh, probably five truckloads of dirt that was donated. Uh, seeds were donated. So how much was that in in-kind in donations? In-kind and grass was donated and paint and um, stain for the fences. I would say in in-kind, we had $30,000. That, that was donated for students. But also the largest, I want to be sure to give respect uh, for this, the largest in-kind that was donated to us was the construction. 
And that was from INE Construction. They're located in Wilsonville. They came, they donated. We built the entire garden in 12 hours. We had a whole team cooking for everybody that was building. And so when we paused for lunch, the whole cooking team came out and fed everybody. But I have an amazing PowerPoint that I can share with you. And Jackie held the clock at the same place on the hour every hour. So we could show you what we did. I, can I share a story with yes. everybody about, about Kelly? I want to, this will kind of bring it home. What type of a person? Kelly, when she gets her mind set on something, no is not an option. Would mm. that be safe to say, Kelly? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So we, we had, she had a groundbreaking, um, she had the groundbreaking after everything was done and we had the welcome to Oregon's 500th school garden celebration and she invited two legislators to this to the garden to kick it off uh brian clem uh and vic gilliam and uh i remember you talking about your fundraising story how you didn't take no for an answer you just knocked on doors and you finished that by looking mr clem right in the eye and saying and how much are you going to give me today's and she and I remember Brian said, oh, "I'll give you five hundred, and so will Mr. Gilliam." Yes. So I mean, just that story of like, if you don't ask, the answer is always going to be no. So you might as well ask, and ask. you never know what will happen. Absolutely, and in fact, we invited the local woman uh, woman gardeners club. They mm-hmm. came and had lunch with the high school students. Everybody opened their little black book and donated, and just from that lunch for having them come over that we earned $127 that day and you know it it every bit went back into the program and the students were so involved uh with every aspect of the club the garden and the program itself that they knew they knew what their efforts were doing so Mm -hmm. they knew where to put their efforts and while a lot of people donated to you I also read how much the garden donated and added to the community so during the summer garden, students took vegetables home to their families. Yes. There's over 100 pounds of produce. Yes. Donated to Meals on Wheels in yes. Malala. More than 100 pounds to the Estacada fire evacuees. Yes. What are some other community impacts that you saw because of the school garden? Uh, let me share a story with you. One of our students uh, was homeless, and he was uh, staying in an extra room with one of our other students. And one of the kindest souls, just always wanting to help out, always staying late, uh, always asking, you know, Mrs. Douglas, what can I do? Is there anything else I can do? Well, this young man called me. It was late on a Saturday night. It was really late. And I thought, oh, what, you know, what's wrong? Why is he calling me so late? I'm so worried. Well, he wanted to know how far apart to plant the tomatoes because we, this young man called me to find out how far apart to plant the tomatoes because he wanted to thank the family that had been feeding him. He didn't have any money to thank them, but he had hard work. He had energy. And so he was out there in the dark after his homework was done planting tomatoes for this family just to grow them some food to thank them. Just one small story, but the community impacts, there's so many excuse me, there's so many little pockets of love out there 
that were generated because of the garden. So many beautiful stories and so many visitors to the garden. And it's just an honest place. No technology was ever allowed in the garden. If you were in the garden, there was no phone. If you were in the garden and out in the vicinity, you were with Mother Nature and one another. So the garden really fed people's hearts. Um, and what about their stomachs? Were kids eating differently because of the gardening? They were. We entered into a research project with OSU, and it was really fun. We got permission from the parents, and what they did was they weighed and measured the students, and then they gave them surveys on what type of vegetables and foods they were already eating. And then as we entered into the growing season and the things that the students wanted to try to grow or try to taste from other school gardens that we traded with, uh, they became interested and learning about childhood obesity. And so we always, our motto, another motto was fighting childhood obesity one tomato at a time. And so we just kept growing tomatoes. They, they were just used to like cucumbers and tomatoes. And so when we made it with the lettuce that we grew, they were thinking that we made it wrong. But then we had our, some of our other Asian students and they're like, no, 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 you need to slice up all these onions too and put it in there. And so it, it was just so powerful to see them tasting different foods, trying different things. Um, one night, we didn't have a lot of money. And so all of our uh, Russian students baked bread in the, cafeteria, in the kitchen in, the, in there. Uh, they baked bread. We did maybe 20, 25 loaves of bread. And then we made a giant pots of soup. And the soup was just vegetables. It was just from the garden. And so we had soup and bread. And we watched Finding Nemo. And everybody bought blankets and pillows, and we did it in the library. And just coming together breaks down barriers. It gives you a sense of belonging, a safe place to be. And it's all because of dirt. It's all because of the magic of dirt and students. And no technology. When you get students out there with no buffer and they're just working, it breaks down any preconceived notions that students may have about one another when it gets down to the hard work. Oh, wow, that is so powerful. And I, all of you, what you just told me and all of the impact you made in, at Malala and really changing, changing the culture of that school, really, um, I happen to know you were, you were recognized for it. Do you want to tell me I about that? was. Oh, my gosh. Well, the most amazing th thing happened. Most amazing experience of my life. I get a phone call from my friend Rick <laughs> telling me that he nominated me for the Billy Odegaard Emerging Genius Leader Award by the Oregon Public Health Institute for my work fighting childhood obesity with Culture Club and the students. Rick nominated me and I won. Then they only recognize it. They only give it to one person in the state of Oregon a year. Only one person. And they gave it to me. Well, they, you, they, they did one person and then they did a, a, a group, group mm -hmm. of kids. And yeah, you're right. I'm guilty. I, I led Thank you into you. that. But I did, I did nominate you for that. And I, when they called me to tell me, that you won. It felt like I won. Oh. I was so excited. It's like, oh, somebody I nominated won. And they really haven't done it since. I've I've gone on their website. Yeah. I've I've gone, I think 2016 was the last time it they did powerful. it. Powerful. But they called me and they and just to let you know, I think I've told you this before, but they said, okay, so 
we're going to have Kelly go on first and then we'll have the group. I'm like, oh, that's a bad idea. <laughs> you, you don't want to do that. And they were like, what? And I'm like, uh, well, how many people are going to be in the room? And she, they said, oh, like, like 300 yeah. some people. Yeah. I go, well, they'll all be up on their feet cheering, screaming and clapping at the end of Kelly's talk. And then they're these poor kids are going to come on. Yes. And they're like, really? Well, okay, I'll, I'll take it on faith. You know, I'll, I'll believe you. And they put the kids on first and the kids went on and it was like a little polite golf clap. Thank you. And then Kelly came on and it happened exactly like I said. And I remember seeing the kids and they're like, what did they say? They, man, I'm glad we went on first. They were, they said that. Um, but anyway, it was it was just so awesome to see you get recognized for for all the work you do. Thank so. you, thank you. And and what I shared with our eleven officers in Culture Club, I shared with them that this is their award. I was the mm-hmm. adult yeah. that led them and and guided them, but it was their work. It was their award, and so we got a field trip going, and those kids came with me. Mm-hmm. All eleven officers came with me. And they each spoke at that event. We had standing room only, clapping, whistling. We had people in tears. Just so proud of these high school students that are willing to come together and work on their own time after school, cross cross cultures, and really make a difference for their community and for their school. And you're too kind, but they were so proud of you, too, as the catalyst for all this. So I just wanted to say that. Thank you. Thank so, you. so now, uh, you're not there anymore. I'm you, not. You're gone. I'm Tell not. me what what does the garden look like now in Malala? Let's let's get into it. Okay, one of the lessons learned uh, as we went through our experience was that you really need to have Plan B. Plan A is the ideal state where everyone's involved. The longevity is there. The garden is growing. You've got your summertime watering, your summertime harvesting. Everything is planned. Everything is vibrating and going along good. But then I left. I, I had another opportunity, and, and I was able to, to uh, grow. It was, it was a step up. I was able to go. It was very difficult to leave. Uh, if, the, if this opportunity didn't come up, I would not have left because of my devotion to the students and to what we were growing what we were growing. Well, the culture club and the garden sounds phenomenal. It would seem like if that was going on, every single school would want to be doing that. So is the garden thriving and alive? And what's happening now? The garden of Malala is no longer. Uh, the sprinkler system that was donated was gone. Uh, all of the tools that were donated were gone. Uh, it just disappeared and so kelly this this didn't happen on your watch you no. had you had another opportunity to leave yes and uh, and what that and such is life um things move on you had another opportunity you yeah and you left but so this happened after you left there was nobody there to carry correct. the torch anymore. correct one of the teachers um, tried to take it on just as um, like a National Honor Society club, but we already had the National Honor Society club partnering with us. Every club on campus partnered with Culture Club in the garden, every single club. And so we were hoping that somebody else would really push up their sleeves and dig into it and take over and keep the children that were involved, the students that were involved, that was their home. 
It was their belonging. And sadly, they lost all of that. And then, you know, they just graduated out. And then when the younger kids came up, all they see is just the empty garden beds out there. And really nothing is happening. I I believe that um, one of the special education classes wanted to use one of the beds. And so I believe that they they were doing that. But the entire program and the entire uh, garden is no longer in existence. So the point about garden sustainability is a big one and one we think a lot about. And I'm curious, what are some lessons you learned from that experience? The lessons that I learned, I would say that before I really believed that it would it would continue. I really believed that it would because it was so amazing and the students thrived mentally and physically and emotionally and as well as eating better. It, they just had more opportunities for live food, and it, we really believed that it would continue. Uh, what I learned is time. Time is your most priceless commodity, and you can't buy time. And people, if they're not passionate about it, their time is not going to be devoted there. No matter how many students look and say, can we build a garden? You have to have that adult. And so if I would have known that the garden would go by the wayside, I would have invested more time in um, securing the other clubs, more participation from the other clubs and being able to hand it over to them. Having a dedicated person. Truly. That's good. Mm -hmm. You know, and... It's not all doom and gloom, though. No. There's, there's, uh, when I look at Kelly, and I, I don't know if we led into this when we, when we first started this interview, but just because you're not uh, in a farm-to-school coordinator position at that high school anymore, you're still in farm-to-school even yes. though you're in another position. Yes. Um, I was looking, Kelly gave us her resume, and there are about eight, opportunities i've dragged her along to oregon school board association's annual convention three times where her and i have done uh, she's one of my go-to people like whenever like we want to talk about advancing student achievement through school gardens um and like how to increase your graduation rates and decrease uh discipline problems we get lines out the door for that by listening to this story um you've been a keynote speaker a number of times this opah health genius award uh your kids and you have spoken on capitol hill yes in the oregon assembly to, to tell that story of how impactful the the garden education program is yes uh and so it, you are just, you're, you're never far out of it. And for that, we, you're invaluable and you will never leave our side. Thank you. I live and breathe public education and I live and breathe students and the magic of dirt. Because once you get kids out there with no technology, it's stripped. It's just them. And then when you show them, look, the seeds are popping. Look, we can plant the seeds. Look, pretty soon we're going to be eating the ground cherries. The ground cherries, Uh so many people did not know what a ground cherry was. And they were the most popular. Every time that we would go visit other schools, we would always take buckets of ground cherries to give them. We did a lot of field trips because other schools wanted us to come. I had my visit. first ground cherry at your school. Yeah. They taste like little pineapples. They are. They, it's, it's nature's candy it's and nature's. it's on nature's little wrapping. Yeah. They're phenomenal. And so we traveled quite a bit. The students, I was so proud of them. And I have to tell you, the first time we went to the Capitol, uh, I had the 11 officers. Um, oh, we wrote a grant to the local phone company. 
for 11 laptops because we had kids stay. They were out in the garden working until they couldn't see anymore. And then I'd drive them all home, but they had homework. But these are poor students. They didn't really have home computers. So we wrote a grant. So we got 11 laptops so that our officers could do their homework at night uh, and so that they could donate their light uh, day, their time in the daylight to the garden. Um, but these 11 officers uh, went with me on the bus to the Capitol. And these are students that come from poor families. And the black Sharpie markers that were on their shoes, they were covering up the scuff marks on their shoes. They were trying to cover up holes here and there. Um, whatever they could do, uh, one kid had one black um, shoestring and one white sh shoestring. So the whole thing, he, the whole trip, he covered his shoestring with a black marker because he wanted to look good walking into, walking into the Capitol. And these are students that, that never had an opportunity like this before. Yeah. And here they are walking in, testifying about the importance of a farm to school grant, about the importance of having the opportunity to harvest vegetables for their peers so that there's live food on campus between practices instead of just chips out of the locker. These are kids that want to talk about putting lemon in the soup because they learned it from their friend. So then when they're in class the next day, they had the soup together, and there's not as much friction between the two of them. And so even though I'm not currently in the position of a school garden coordinator, I stand firmly on that foundation of what we gave those students while they were there. Yeah. And, you know, I think it was, a, it was a sign of the times back then. I, uh, back in 2012, we did our first school garden survey, and we surveyed everybody, and there was only 10% of all schools surveyed that answered that had a paid position or part-time position at all. And the last time we did it in 2019, that jumped up to 50%. Oh. So it was about 10, 15% were full-time yes. of, the, of the amount of people that replied, and the other... 35% was at least an hour or two a day that the principal said you can teach a horticulture class or something. So it's good news that the needle is moving that yes. direction where we're getting those paid school garden positions. That way, if somebody leaves, it's like, well, there's an opening. Correct. Yeah. Correct. But I also have to say that the experience that the students had, even though the program isn't still alive, they have that reflection that they can do anything. They can do whatever they set their mind to because they saw a blank open space of grass. Our community came together with $30,000 in donations. We wrote grants that we received, $12,000. We had communities, uh, community members that just wanted to stop by and see, what, I hear this, what's going on? What are, you, what are these high school students doing out there? And knowing that parents knew that the children were in a safe place. The parents knew, oh, the kids are in the garden. That's okay. And if they wanted to know where their child was, they could drive up out back and honk. But the children were in the garden. It was a safe place. And the kids always had food. You know, it was wonderful to see packs of students walking home eating lemon cucumbers, you know, munching on ground cherries. But even though the program, you know, let's, let's say that a school has a program and students experience it for a few years and then it's over. Yes, it's sad, but it's invaluable. Yeah. It's invaluable. The time that they had together and the skills that they learned. Not only that, yeah. but when you would go up to one of their kids yeah. and it wasn't a kid, it was a young adult that would look you in the eye yes. and they had skills like they could 
I've been on Capitol Hill and yes. spoke and testified, and they had no fear in going looking at an adult's eyes, shaking my hand and telling me about their garden. And I, I that really showed. That, Thank you. Yeah. We practiced working the room because when these students were out in in these uh, events representing the garden, there were people with pocketbooks. And so the students would go and introduce uh. themselves and say, you know, would you like to donate? You, you know, we, we need a wheelbarrow. We need this. We need that. Or, you know, would you like to donate $25? And so the students were very, very good at asking what someone had or bartering. We, we love to barter. Well, Kelly, our, our time's getting close to the end. Um, you were telling us when we when we said hello to you before we started rolling here. Yes. You're you're doing another thing. You're doing another yes. thing on the side. Would you care to tell us about that a little bit? I would. So I live out in Mount Angel and I have 13 acres. We have five different types of hazelnuts and an acre and a half of walnuts and a beautiful creek out back. I just spent last week digging out back there in the creek bed, and I found some amazing million-year-old fossilized petrified wood, which was fascinating. And, you know, one of those things that you think in your spare time, I think I'm going to go rock digging. I did. It was wonderful. It was amazing. But I'm always looking around at my farm thinking, what can I do with that pine cone? What can I do with this? What can I do? Nature has given me all these nuts. What can I do? And so my spare time, I create sweet little gifts made with all nature's crystals and gemstones and pine cones and bark. And I make little fairy homes and gnome homes. And Kelly brought us a couple as gifts, and they're amazing. We'd like to thank everyone listening for tuning in today, and thank you, Kelly. Thank Thank you. you. Oh, my goodness. I have truly enjoyed this. I hope I get to come back again and talk about students in dirt. You are welcome anytime. And I think uh, there's going to be some people around the country that want your contact information. I'm going to go ahead and put that on the show notes if that's okay. Please do. Because as adults, it truly is our responsibility to lean in and create the venue, create the space, create the experience for our students to get their fingernails dirty to really have no technology between each other and get out there in the school garden. Let's see what we can do. Let's do this. Okay, thanks again. The Farm to School podcast was written, directed, and produced by Rick Sherman and Michelle Markestein and was made possible by a grant from the United States Department of Agriculture. The content and ideas presented in this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Oregon State University, the Oregon Department of Education, or the United States Department of Agriculture. The USDA, Oregon Department of Education, and Oregon State University are equal employment opportunity employers. Want to learn more about Farm to School? Check out other episodes and find show notes and much more at rootopia.com. That's R-O-O-T-O-P-I-A.com. Or do you have an idea for a future episode of the Farm to School podcast? Send us an email at info at rootopia.com. Well, that's it. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.